Morning, everybody. Uh, glad to see you all here. I'm glad we have the space. I'm also glad that there are donuts. So, amen. Yeah. So, for those of you who were at early service, you know that we already had a um, fire drill. Just in case you're wondering, we will not be having a fire drill during the Sunday school hour. But those of you who are going to late service, be prepared. Um, there will be a, a fire drill at the end of the service. Um, Hudson Fire Department was here to actually conduct the drill for us uh, because now our system is tied into uh, the, the Hudson system. So if we were to pull that alarm, they would know. Um, whereas in the past, we just... Did and they it. did. Yeah. yeah. The uh, monitoring company called the Hudson Fire Department and said, alarm has been pulled. So... It all worked the way it was supposed to. So, I don't know, some years ago, um, I was at uh, Concordia uh, Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas, which is, it's huge. They have, they have like 5,000 members, you know, coming through on a, uh, on a weekend. Uh, and one of the conversation points that I had with the, the pastor, the senior pastor of that church, uh, actually dealt with security. And, you know, how do you keep people safe? And, and he, they, they have a, they actually have police, you know, on campus. Um, they have 50 acres and there's a school there. And, but on Sunday, they always have a couple of police officers that are there. They, they have some EMTs who are members of the congregation who volunteer to be available in case of an emergency and all of that type of stuff. And uh, while we're not that, that big, you know, it did really strike me that it is good for us to know what we would do in case of an emergency. And uh, um, so I talked with Bob about it a little bit, and uh, Bob was the one who really ran with it. And he uh, um, helped to get together with the emergency management uh, committee and got Jill Solom, and, and uh, Amy was on that, weren't you? Um, initially, but I kind of. I said was. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but, uh, you know, we have a list of who are our medical people that might be at any given service, you know, in case something were to happen. And, uh, and it has happened a couple of times where something medical took place during a, uh, a worship service and people jumped in and did what needed to be done. And, you know, there was a plan, called the ambulance, so on and so forth. Um, and uh, it's just one of those things that... Um, I don't know, if we say we're going to love our neighbors, maybe part of that loving our neighbors is kind of looking after each other and having a plan if something goes sideways at church. And, uh, and so we have the fire drill today. At some point, um, we're going to have a conversation about uh, the situation of uh, an active shooter. You know, and just to be really clear about this, uh, it's not going to happen. I mean, statistically speaking, it is so shrinkingly low that that would happen at a, a Lutheran congregation. It, it, it's, it's, you know, so this is not a, you know, we're worried about it. It's a, um, we're going to be prepared if, if something were to happen. And second of all, um, this is the kind of thing that could happen more likely when you're out shopping. You know, and so it's just a matter of, you know, thinking about it. 
and having something in your, your mind so that when, uh, if and when something happens, there, there's, there's a level of preparedness, if, if that makes sense. So, you know, please don't take any of this as, you know, we're trying to scare the congregation or anything like that. Uh, this is actually, you know, very much how do we love our neighbors uh, and, and we are neighbors as we gather here. So let's pray and we'll get into Romans, which is what you're actually here for. That and donuts. So. <laughs> Lord, our God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you alone are God and you alone are to be worshiped. You dwell in eternity. Your power is without bonds, and your mercy reaches to the clouds. Thank you for keeping us safe in the past night and for preserving our lives to this morning, the first day after the Sabbath, the morning on which your son, Jesus Christ, early rose from the dead. Let this morning always remind our souls of this, your greatest and most wonderful deed, by which you declared yourself reconciled to a world lost in sin and became our gracious and merciful Father. For when you had made your Son an offering for our sins, you raised him up for our justification. Therefore, we will praise you for your goodness and for your wonderful works to the children of men. Your praise shall continually be on our lips, and we will say, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name, for he forgives your iniquity and heals your diseases. Grant us your spirit to guide and govern us today. Preserve us from spending this day in worship, this day of worship in idleness and sin, or engaging in such things which distract the mind by drawing it to earthly things or worldly pleasures. Fill our hearts with the, with the love of your word that we may eagerly hear and diligently learn it, and that we may meditate on your precepts. Grant us peace of conscience through the faith of Christ, that we may enjoy the true Sabbath rest, that rest of the soul in Christ to which he invites all poor sinners. Teach us to keep our foot in going to the house of worship and make the word of your grace to find room in our hearts and to bring fruit which will remain unto eternal life. Grant our prayer through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So a while ago we had a conversation about uh, the, uh, the English district in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. I found this, this prayer in a, a little prayer or a little devotion book that I have at home. Uh, I've been blessed with a handful, well, I've been blessed with a lot of books over the years. Uh, this is a book that, um, it was written uh, in the 1890s, and uh, I have an early copy. It's over 100 years old, so I'm like, really careful when I touch it. The edges are really frayed, and, um, but it's called the, uh, the Sunday Book. Um, the Sunday, it's the Sunday Morning Prayer from the Book of Devotion, the Psalms, by Reverend F. Kugerly. Um so, this book was written in English. It's an American book. Uh, Kugele, um was uh, born in Columbiana, Ohio, for those of you who like to have your Ohio pride. Um, and, uh, and I think that he was the first president of the English Evangelical Lutheran Synod of Missouri. 
which is the forerunner of what we call the English district today. So remember how I was talking about how the people who founded the, the Missouri Synod immigrated from Germany. And as they proclaimed the gospel here, there were other people who came to believe. And then there was this tension about what language do we do our services in? And a lot of the German congregations continued to do worship in German. But there were a, a number of uh, people who glommed on to the teachings. And, and, and I think that he is actually one who came to America um, as a Lutheran, but felt this needs to happen in English. You know, we have to have worship in English so that people understand it. It seems to me that that's part of the Reformation too, wasn't it? You know, worship in the language that the people can understand. And, uh, uh, and so he really pushed this and, uh, um, and is part of really the heritage that we have in terms of being able to worship in the language of our people. So I thought that was kind of a, an interesting uh, coincidence in terms of some of the conversations that we've had. Uh, we are on Romans chapter 7. And uh, verses 1 and 2 we talked about last week. And we're going to get into 3 here today, verse 3. And maybe uh, maybe we'll get into verse 4. We'll see. Um, but I only gave you verse 3. Uh, so Romans 7, 1 through 3 says, Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Um, so we talked through some of the, the first part of that. Um, this word that is, is translated adulterous, the root of, it's rooted in a verb that means to commit adultery, duh. But that that's word has a meaning of, uh, of being unfaithful. And this is an image that it's, it's a really important one in terms of understanding um, the relationship of Israel and God. Throughout the Old Testament, uh, adultery is the image that is used when... Uh, God speaks of his people going after other idols, worshiping other gods. And if you want a good example of that, read the opening part of Jeremiah. Just, you know, really, it's, it's really, some of it's really painful language. You know, the language of a spouse that's been cheated on. And this is God talking about his people, okay? And so he says, she will be called an adulteress, not the widow, but a wife whose husband was not, has not died, um, and she lives with another man. We got a little bit into this topic last week in our gospel lesson in Mark chapter 10. Um, you remember the account where some Pharisees came to Jesus and uh, they, were, they were trying to test him. And uh, basically, uh, the Pharisees like to try to trip Jesus up with, with difficult questions and... Uh, uh, the account goes like this. And Pharisees came up and in order to test, Jesus asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? 
They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about the matter, and he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Now, this is a sensitive topic, right? This is a topic that uh, is laced with pain. And I think that that's one of the things that we need to, to recognize when we, we deal with the topic of marriage uh, and, and divorce and look at uh, our relationship with, with, with God and with the idols of our lives and, and all of that. that It's all being uh, wrapped together here. Um, and, and looking at the, the whole message of, of what God teaches us, what Jesus teaches us about divorce. Um, you know, in Matthew chapter 5, 31 and 32, uh, Jesus says, It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, um, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone divorces his wife except on the grounds of sexual immorality um, makes her commit adultery. And whoever, carries, whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And, and so people, people look at this and... I mean, the uh, the question that always comes up with this is, you know, can a divorced person get remarried? And this this is such a this is such a um, painful topic that what some church bodies have chosen to do, um, the, the Roman Catholic Church, is they've created this whole thing called annulment. And the idea of annulment is it never happened. It's, yeah, exactly. It's a do-over. Um, and, I mean, talk about something that is difficult and painful. You know, just pretend that it didn't happen. Um, and sometimes people seek this when there are kids. You know, that's, that's really hard. I also know that some church bodies, and the Lutheran Church has done this in the past, basically have said, you know, if you get divorced, you, uh, you, know, you should remain single until the other person dies. And some people, some people choose that. Notice that I said some people choose that. Um, you know, because they are, I, well, they are rightfully seeking to avoid sin, right? It, is it good to avoid sin? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But here's the thing. Are we capable of not sinning? No. So, when we think about divorce, you know, and this is coming up through the text here. This is why I'm bringing it up. I don't, you know, there's I don't have an agenda here, um, but uh, when we think about divorce, there are a couple things that come to my mind. Uh, first of all, is sensitivity toward people because divorce is a painful topic 
I, I don't think that anybody is like, you know, you know, hey, we I can't wait to do this. It, it, it's just, it's hurtful all the way around. I like the way that C.S. Lewis talks about divorce. You know, it's not the dissolving of a contract. It is a, um, oh, I lost the word. And they cut off part of your body. An amputation. The two become one in divorce. It's divided. It's torn apart. You know, that that is a, a painful thing. Now, what I've noticed in, in my life is that people then will say, you know, well, my divorce is okay because. Maybe. But what if instead of trying to justify ourselves, what we do is we say, my sins are forgiven for Christ's sake. Which is not to say I just want to jump forward and just do whatever I want, but to say that life is messy and it's complex. And in this life, my hope is actually in Jesus, not in me getting everything right. So there's another passage that I've mentioned. Uh, I mentioned this last week from 1 Corinthians 7, verse 9, where this is the Holy Spirit speaking to us, and he says, it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So if you have a person who's divorced and they're burning with passion, which wisdom are we going to go with on this point? And this is, you know, this is not a willy-nilly thing. This is not a light matter. I think that some people will ignore um, this in favor of, you know, know, if you're divorced and remarried, that's adultery. And others will prefer this and say, you know, know, no, go get remarried. and, And I think that probably what needs to happen is to come at this in a repentant and and in a sense of we're going to trust Jesus to to sort it out. We're going to seek to follow him and to live in that hope that all of the sins that I have committed are forgiven. Am I making sense? You know... I do think that, I think that as a society, over the years, I've heard all kinds of complaints about the attacks on marriage. Um, and, And one of the things that I've observed is often when people talk about the attacks on marriage, it's been in connection to, uh, homosexual marriage, you know, that, that we're degrading marriage. Marriage has been attacked for a long time before that. You know, and some of it is that we don't take the divorce situation seriously enough. 
And then the other side of it is that when people find themselves in that terrible position, we don't give them any hope. You know? Because we don't treat the situation as sin, and so we don't speak forgiveness into that situation. As a society, there's no need for it. You know, the society sees it as just a breaking of a contract. But but there's 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 much more to it, and I I really think that this sense of I'm going to justify myself, I'm going to get it right, and you know, and of course God's going to let me into heaven because I'm so good and so nice. Uh, kind of permeates these these parts of our lives, and so when things do go sideways. Um, We, we, we don't want to deal with it. Um, I've been posting, um, mess- I've done two of them now, these Wednesday messages. And then the one for last week, um, I asked the question, could a person find themselves in a position where staying in a marriage would be sinful and harmful? Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, if we're going to look and say that the divorce is sin, that that has to be held in the tension there. You know, that, that you know, we're always like, oh, I'm going to do the right thing. But maybe there isn't a right thing sometimes. Sometimes there's a least bad. And when I talk about sin boldly, that's kind of part of where I'm at. You know, we don't always have the right choices in front of us. We can't always do the right thing. We'll try, but at the end of the day, when we fall short, is our hope that we did the, well, at the end of the day, is our hope that we did all the things right, or is the hope that Jesus died to pay for our sins? So that he died to pay for our sins. Yes. So, um, I don't know. Do I need... Yeah, Larry. It strikes me that there's a corollary to your point that Jesus died for our sins. We can also lift that situation up in prayer and ask the Lord for guidance and direction. Now, we may not get it right, 